Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are married couple and really dear friends, Jenny and John Dye. Welcome to the podcast, you two. Thank you. Richard, thank you. Um, we're going to do three segments on this podcast. Um, we're going to talk about Light the World, the hashtag Light the World that I think most and of our LDS friends are aware of. John worked at Boncom for seven years and for several years um, helped on this program. So we're going to talk about Light the World. John has left Boncom under good terms, now is in the private sector, but this is still something that both of them are passionate about. And with the holiday season coming up and Light the World, we wanted to have John and Jenny on the podcast to talk about how we can take advantage of this effort and what the goals are and how we can reach other people. We're also going to talk about John's role um, when he worked for the church with the Mormon and Gay website, and just a little bit of the backstory behind that and some insights on that, and that would be wonderful to have John share some of that. And then we're going to talk in our third segment about a podcast that Jenny co-hosts. It's a podcast called Mormon News Report. And it started in July of 2017. Um, Jenny Dye co-hosts that with Brant Malone. And we're going to talk about the purpose of that podcast, the scope of that podcast, and hopefully connect more of our listeners to that podcast. So thanks for being on the podcast. We started with prayer, and we just hope that this will be a helpful podcast for our listeners to come closer to Christ and understand how to best to support and help each other and understand the efforts that are being made with efforts like Light the World. Um, and you two got married. I, I remember meeting John, and then the two of you got married in March of 2017, and then you had this incredible honeymoon in Italy, and it just wanted, in fact, my wife and I did end up going to Italy, but that was like the, the honeymoon of all honeymoons. Agreed. It was great. <laughs> it was great. I don't think either of us had been there, That's but right. first time for both. What was, did you have a favorite city? And I don't know if you were just in Italy or if you went to more places. Did you have a favorite spot? We were in Rome and also in Florence, I believe. And yes. uh, we wish we would have had more time in Florence for sure. Yeah, Florence was, I would say, the, the crowning place that we really? went. Just beautiful. And it was much smaller than, obviously, Rome. That's interesting. But, um, uh -huh. You know, we got a bicycle built for two there and just toured the city and had a lot of fun. My wife wants me to go to Florence with her, and I'd love to do that. It's on our bucket list. We've been to a few places in Italy, but we've never been to Florence, and that is her favorite place. And she was showing me some Airbnbs or whatever that term is. Um, <laughs> I've never quite figured that one out, although I know how to rent them. Yeah. Um, so maybe we'll do that. John, awesome. talk about your experience at Boncom, specifically with, tell us about your assignment at Boncom and then how, and your responsibilities with hashtag light the world. Absolutely. Maybe I'll start at the beginning. Good. Um, in 2012, you might remember that's when uh, Mitt Romney ran for president the first time. And that was also the year we dub it as the Mormon moment because that's when the Book of Mormon musical came out as well. That's uh, really when I started with Boncom. Prior to that, I'd been with a, a small ad agency called Fluid Studio, and I had worked with Boncom on, you might remember the um, family, It's About Time. Yes. All of those episodes. That those we are did. great. Yeah, those were, those were fun. We would work on the actual physical packaging that they would send to um, program directors at radio stations and television stations to try to get that, that free play. So anyway, that was at Fluid, but I met uh, some great friends at Boncom through that. Uh, at that point, the church was kind of transitioning from the direct response. You might remember they would send out videos if you called a phone number or, or sent an email in. And they were transitioning from that to more of a digital first approach to things because they noticed the, the online piece, the digital piece was really starting to grow. And, uh, at that point they kind of reached out and said, Hey, we've got this open position. Are you interested? And I absolutely loved it because they needed somebody that could come in, talk social media that could do a lot of the things, you know, that was just starting to burgeon in 2012. And so we had a chance to do that and absolutely loved it. Um, worked on meet the Mormons in 2014. 
that released in October of 2014. Obviously, the I'm a Mormon uh, vignettes that you might remember. Uh, that was something that was very fun to work on as well. But just helping grow literally the, the, the at the time Mormon.org, now come unto Christ.org, uh, Facebook presence from about 400,000 to you know, where it is now, uh, well over, well into the millions. It's great. So I enjoyed that. Um, one other key thing I think that, that I was able to participate in there was the, um, influencer marketing efforts, trying to, you know, I'd say utilize the members that have a large reach, the piano guys and a Lindsay Sterling and a David Archuleta and just some of the YouTubers that we have in the church and bloggers uh, find space for them and how they could share their beliefs online. Because I would say the top 10, Richard, the top 10 people that I worked with had a reach an aggregated reach online of probably 10 times what all the official church properties had online. Wow. So it's like, when we talk about how is the, how is the gospel going to reach all four corners of the earth? Um, I don't know if it's going to do it with 60, 65, 70,000 in-person missionaries, but it can digitally and we need to we need to harness the power that we have through our members, and this is one big way. So one thing that I really believe in is that. Um, so for the last three years, we've obviously had light the world. Um, I might go back though to talk about the seasonal initiatives because we we did have uh, because of him. You might remember that because of him was an important one that we, we had. And that's not a hashtag. I remember because of him, but I can't remember the first campaign that had a hashtag with it. Yeah. That was, I would say the first major okay. one that had a, had a campaign hashtag with it. So, um, because of him started, um, in an Easter, I'm, I'm trying to remember the year now, it was probably 2014 or 2015, but we, we noticed a lot of our creatives that worked at Boncom noticed that we had two seasons of the year that we could really capitalize on to reach members of Christianity, other people who believed similar to what we did. Obviously one of those is Christmas and the second is of course Easter. So once we noticed that we had something there, we started doing these seasonal initiatives. At, at the beginning, we would change the hashtag every time we did a new initiative. And I think it took us just a year or two to realize, let's build on this from year to year so that the momentum that we build in the prior year can not only uh, continue into the current year, it can exponentially grow in the current year. So Light the, uh, light the World is something that I believe this is year four. And uh, I think it's just really captivated the hearts of members. And it's really, I would say it's gone outside the echo chamber of our church, right? People who are within our church, it's easy to activate them, but those who aren't in, you know, associated with being a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they've also seen these posts online and they see what we stand for. And it's a way to dispel myth and misperception about who we are. Um, we're going to talk about how you met Jenny because she is one of these bloggers you've talked about in a second. And um, we're going to talk about her blog as part of this Light the World segment. Share with our listeners, I, mean, I would have some feelings. I'm a marketing guy, so I would think there's a creative brief and a, a direction behind it. Um, but just kind of walk us through the goals. Is it, to, is it about Christ? Is it about our church? Is it about doing good? Is it about all those things? Yeah, I'd say all of the above. Um, of course, it's Christ-centric. It's okay. doing as he did. And this year's um, theme is light the world one by one. So doing what Christ would do if he were there. And, and really, it's a way to transform the Christmas season into a season of service. And one of the best ways we know to do missionary work and to help people understand who we are and break down those silos is through giving service, selfless service to others. And this is a way to really concentrate on that. Uh, traditionally, it's the day after, the, excuse me, the Sunday after Thanksgiving is when we traditionally start to see all of the Light the World stuff start. This year it will be, we've already started to see it, but um, we have multiple things this year. I would call them tentpole moments or key things to look for pillars of light the world that we can go through in just a moment if you'd like to. But, um, it's, it's really celebrating service and dispelling myth and misperception about the church so that when people hear the term Mormon or the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they don't immediately shut down. They have good connotations with those terms. 
Yeah, tell some of those tent pole activities for 2019. And if I'm a member of the church on this podcast and want to do something, give me a kind of some ideas of what I can do. Yeah, let's start maybe with the giving machines. And I'll probably ask Jenny to pipe in here because last year we had five worldwide and this year they've doubled those to 10 and maybe talk about what we did at some of those last year if you want to. Sure. The first year that they had the giving machines, they were located in downtown Salt Lake City at the Joseph Smith Memorial Building on Temple Square, which makes sense. Temple Square is a local, very popular destination for any sort of holiday celebration, right? Um, Many carolers, many concerts, that sort of thing, uh, Christmas related. Those machines were so successful that, as John mentioned last year, uh, they expanded the giving machines to be in five cities, Salt Lake City still, also Gilbert, Arizona, Manhattan, uh, New York City, um, London, and also Manila in the Philippines. Wow. This year, they've doubled that, like John said, from five cities to 10 cities. The same five as last year, Salt Lake, Gilbert, Manhattan, London, and Manila. This year, they are adding San Jose, California, Denver, Colorado, Las Vegas, Nevada, Orem, Utah, and Laie on Oahu in Hawaii. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Now, unbeknownst to many people, two of those are already open. Right. Um, November 8th, Manila opened and Las Vegas on the 14th. Donnie Osmond was there. Um, uh, interestingly enough, he has connections to Bonneville Communications uh, through some of his uh, his children. So. He was able to be there. It was, I think, the day before he finished his show because Donnie and Marie, obviously, they finished up their their tour in, in Vegas that they had for, what, 11 years, something like that. But on November 20th, that's when Laie and Gilbert open. Uh, Salt Lake City and Orem open on the 26th of November. Denver, Colorado also opens that day, so three on, on the 26th. San Jose will be November 29th. New York is December 3rd and then London on December 3rd as well. Share with our listeners what a giving machine is. Yeah, Jenny, do you want to field that one? Sure. So a giving machine takes the idea of a vending machine where, you know, someone goes up, puts in their money or scans their card and gets something for themselves and turns that idea into doing the same thing, but the transaction is in benefit of someone else. The What happens is the physical item that is in the giving machine is a card with a picture of the item that you're purchasing. And there's a variety of items and we'll talk about some of those. Um, But, but what happens is that each city partners through the church with different charities, both international and local. So for instance, in Salt Lake city, I believe Utah Food Bank is one of them. Correct. Right? Uh, but also in Salt Lake City, UNICEF, for instance, is one of the the partners, the international partners that will be represented in Salt Lake. And so UNICEF has what they call their inspired gifts. So, for instance, some of their, for, from their annual gift guide. So some of the UNICEF items available for purchase in the giving machines include uh, polio vaccines, baby resuscitation kits, basketballs, which are which may seem like, wait, what? But those things are important for recreation and for kids to, you know, in high conflict areas to be able to play. Um, also school in a box kits and menstrual hygiene kits that will, those things empower girls and help them stay in school and keep learning in developing countries around the world. So that's the idea is basically that it's like a vending machine, but you're not buying it for yourself. You're buying it for someone else. And if I buy one of those kits, and do I then, the amount I pay, is that just sent to the, like UNICEF to fulfill that? Or do I do the fulfilling if I sort of buy that thing? Am I then responsible to fulfill that gift? Once you've made your transaction at the machine, the work has already, then then the money goes to the charity Great. for them to directly fulfill fulfill that. Um, so if it's like needs. 75 bucks or 25 bucks, right. For, for I run a credit card, that money goes through your network and goes to the gift I'm buying. Right. But my, I just process a transaction and then that whole thing happens. 
That's really cool. Exactly. And a hundred percent of what you are giving is given to the charity for that very purpose, whether it's um, a, a glasses kit for someone to get an eye exam or a goat, which has been a very popular. Talk about the livestock for a minute, Jen. Oh. <laughs> that is by so, far the most popular. Uh, yeah. Item. I mean, because the idea of Purchasing a goat and a vending machine is kind of funny, it's right? But unique. Like, <laughs> but like, like I said before, what the physical thing that you see is, is a card dropping down to the bottom of the machine. But what a goat does or a chicken does for a family in a developing country is it not only provides nutrition for a family, but also a source of income because that family is then able to, you know, if it's a chicken, they might be able to sell the eggs or the goat. They may be able to sell the milk as well as provide nutrition for their own family. It, that's that helps me and it um i've never quite understood the mechanics of that so that's very helpful and then i assume there's multiples of these so if someone buys the unicef kit there might be multiples of those that can be purchased so it's not like just one and you're done it's like maybe that's like a vending machine that has the a whole row of Reese's peanut butter cups and you just get one at a time and there's a whole row of need in that area. Yes. So and can, other people can purchase the same gift. Correct. And that's actually um, a question that I was asked earlier today is once the goats are out, does that mean they're out? There are missionaries and other volunteers at each location who, when the vending machine does start to run low, they will take a minute to restock the items because there, there isn't a limit that way. Good. Yeah. Talk about the tent pole, if that's the verb you used. Yeah. I'm not very good at English. I think that's a verb. Yeah. Yeah. The tent pole moments that, you know, that's one of four, I'd say one of the four pillars that, uh, that is with 2019's Light the World initiative. The second that we should probably talk about is the Christ child, which is, uh, I would call that a, um, a long form video, 18 it's, minutes. It's an 18 minute short film. Yeah. Yeah, and that was, interestingly enough, we had a chance to see that about three weeks ago. A special preview was uh, conducted for Light the World this year. We had a chance to look at it. Jenny, do you want to talk a little bit about the director? Because I think that is very interesting to folks if they understand who that might be. Well, it wasn't a video that was done by the church directly, as in, you know, LDS Motion Picture Studios did not... Um, did not film it, but they, they contracted out for it. And it was, it was directed by a very talented man. Uh, his name is John Foss and, uh, yeah, he, he's a, he's a very, I don't, I don't want to pigeonhole him because in, in what he's known for, he, he plays Christ in the new Testament videos and the Bible That's videos. Cool. So. so, so he's a very talented actor and John and I were just so impressed by the, the Christ child video because it really showcases a lot of his talents and vision as a director. Now, what's unique about this, in addition to John being involved, uh, obviously it's done immaculately. It's done very, very well. But it is it is a short film, but it's 100% historically accurate. Um, people from BYU that are familiar with, you know, the Holy Land and the way things would have been, as well as those not of our faith that are familiar with it, uh, there was a committee set up, I believe, that could talk to the veracity of what that may have looked like. So when you have the three magi, when you have the wise men visiting Christ, you know, many of us, maybe just from being young and understanding the the chronology of things, think that when he was still a babe in swaddling clothes, the magi arrived. Well, in actuality, he was a toddler. He was a, a, a young boy at the time. So a lot of this, even, you know, sometimes we think the stable, what that may have looked like. Well, actually, it was most likely a cave just because of the, uh, the geography of the old world. So a lot of that you'll see. And you'll also see the age of Joseph and Mary, which is quite interesting. And I think that's quite accurately reflected in, in the actor and actress that uh, was chosen to play those two as well. So again, the Christ child that actually um, the full film is being released November 24th, which is uh, coming up soon as we record this. So make sure you watch that. That'll uh, be very, very interesting. And of course, the church would love, this is one of the things that we can share with those of our faith and those not of our faith. Um, this is one of the things that won't create any boundaries. It's not just for those that believe as we believe. This is something that can be shared 
far and wide. And so that's been that kind of gets into what I can do is a, I call myself a rank and file member. Yeah. <laughs> Just to, you know, that has the ability to perhaps participate in light the world. So I could email that video. I could, if I'm on social media, I could share that on my Facebook feed, Instagram, Twitter, other different platforms. Absolutely. And just, and it sounds like just a wonderful video to share. Would I then use the hashtag light the world? Hashtag light the world. And there is a second one for the Christ child, which is hashtag the Christ child. Okay. Yeah. Which is done very, done very well. Um, they're also very much encouraging us to invite people over to our home. If we have holiday, watch this video. Yeah, holiday media meetups with friends and different things, that is a way to bring in the the holiday spirit, the Christmas spirit, and actually um, introduce, maybe do a soft introduction to our beliefs, which is great. Um, speaking of beliefs, December 22nd is a Sunday this year. And last year, you might remember we had, we invited people to attend a Christmas service. And what's interesting about this for me is um, specifically, I remember as a missionary, when I'd invite people to a fast and testimony meeting, I'd say, boy, I hope there's three people in the congregation that don't get up because if they get up, my investigator will think that all of us are like they are. And there's a little, little peculiarity, right? A little strangeness a to word. that. So um, one thing that they're recommending we do, it's obviously just a one hour service, but it's going to be Christ centric. It's very Christmas centric with hymns and, and talks around the holiday, around the season. And so that's another thing that they're doing this year is inviting people on December 22nd to, um, to come to church and to invite our friends as well. Um, they also have the daily prompts. You might remember two years ago, there was a, a daily calendar of just little that's things right. you can do. And I love that because it's not, it's not prescriptive. It's not saying you've got to check every box. But for example, day number one is, is this, the next time you receive a text today, tell the person who sent it something you appreciate about them. What, what an easy way, you know, the, the, the normal and natural ways, I believe is what, uh, elder Uchtdorf calls them the normal and natural ways that we can share the gospel and open up conversations about our beliefs and about making people feel better being kind to them and showing service to them. That is something that most people would consider a very small act, but that can make someone's day. That's so doable. And I think for so many of us sitting on an airplane next to a stranger, dropping golden questions has never worked. Right. There's right. some that have success and keep doing that. But I think for a lot of us, sort of some of the things we've heard about how to do missionary work, we have fear and we don't have success. But I love what you're suggesting because it's very customizable to everybody on what's comfortable for them. And I think that's back to Elder Uchtdorf's um, comment is Christ, Heavenly Father wants us to use our individual strengths to share his message. And don't we don't need to become somebody we're not. It can be a little uncomfortable at times, but I think we need to do what comes naturally for us. Absolutely. You know, as we think of those uh, normal and natural ways, you know, I, I just remember when I was younger, you know, I'd have uh, somebody at the beginning of priesthood opening exercises, hold up a copy of the Book of Mormon and say, we're going to give this to brother so-and-so. And we want to hear next week his, his uh, story of how he gave that out this week. And again, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not being prescriptive at all there. Um, I just believe we all have different strengths that we can rely on to share our personal beliefs and therefore the gospel. And I think this really highlights that. It takes this and, and the goal for Light the World is to change an initiative or a campaign, which it is in some ways, something put out by the church into a movement, a movement of kindness so that we focus on this maybe during the month of December, but it can change us. It helps us become who we should be more like Christ, thinking of others first, thinking of service first. And I think that's really the goal. Elder Bednar, uh, after the first season of Light the World, in an interview said something similar, which is hopefully we can take what we did the last few weeks and use it to change us, change our beings, change our nature into something that's more Christ-like so that the other 11 months of the year, we're doing the same. I love that. Um, other things you want to share with Light the World, John or Jenny? 
you know, um, those are the four pillars. And of course they're wonderful, wonderful stories. We would like to recommend that, um, obviously people share the way that they serve or are served using the hashtag light the world. And, uh, this is a way to become part of this movement of the light, the world movement. Um, Jenny is also doing something very cool this year that I think she should share with us. Okay. Um, so Richard, earlier you mentioned that I have a podcast as well, and we'll talk about that. It's called Mormon News Report. And my co-host, Brant Malone, lives in Detroit. Uh, he and I just recorded an episode, and I think he's already put it out, talking about this idea. Um, in the past two years, John and I have, have, like this year, we've been such big fans and, I guess, advocates for the Light the World initiative. And one thing that we would do is, I know the first year I did a, a Facebook Live from the Salt Lake machines. We did a couple videos on Facebook Live, maybe even Instagram as well, last year, as well as a Facebook Live from Manhattan. And one thing that just always seemed to come up over and over again in comments on these videos was people saying, oh my gosh, are you coming to my city? I sure hope that you'll be in Houston next year. You know, will you be in Chicago? I want to do this. I want to do this. And so last year when it was announced that there would be five, there was a lot of hope and then more of, oh, and then this year we found out there were going to be 10. They're going to double the number. And still, I know that there are so many people out there who want to participate in the experience of the giving machine, because the truth is, any of us can get online and make a donation to UNICEF, but there's something about this transaction. I know a lot of families have had experiences where maybe the children have worked together to save money because they know they want to buy a goat. And $75 is a lot of dollars for a child to save. So, so I've come up with this idea. And what I did was just today I launched and it's still under construction, you know, as far as being a complete profile, but I've created an Instagram account called proxy giving machines. And the I love I, it. so the idea is to bring the light, the world giving machines experience to people who would not otherwise be able to get to a giving machine physically. They don't, they're not geographically close enough. They won't be traveling during the holidays. And so the idea is that I will perform giving machine transactions by proxy, take a video of it and then share it on this Instagram page. So what people can do is they can decide what they want to. And like I said, this is under construction. I'll be posting lists of what items are available and their prices, both in Salt Lake and in Orem, because I am in both locations quite often, quite often. And so throughout from, from um, November 26th until the giving machines go away, what I'll do is what people, or I'm sorry, what people can do is they can send an email to proxygivingmachines at gmail.com and they can tell me a story. And maybe it is, you know, my, my daughter has been saving money and, you know, doing extra chores or selling lemonade or whatever she can do because she wants to buy a goat. Maybe a family has had an experience where they've gotten to know a refugee family who explained why a goat means so much to someone in a developing country. And so that that meant a lot to them and they want to, to help. Maybe someone um, is really passionate about polio vaccines because they had a relative who lived with polio. And so they have a mission that what they want to do for Christmas is make sure that as many people are vaccinated as possible, whatever the case is. What I will do from there is I will reply to that email and say, great, are you okay? You know, I want to get people's permission. Are you okay if I post your story? Because some people also might want to keep it private. I will send them the Venmo information. I set up a separate bank account and a separate Venmo account so that none of the money is tied up with my own. Um, and then I, and then what I'll do is, um, yeah, once I get their permission, if they want, I'm happy to 
post the video of me doing their transaction. And I'm happy to say this is for Susie Jones in, in Milwaukee, or if they'd rather that I don't say their child's name, privacy is a huge thing for families too, with their children. Um, I, I don't have to do that. I can say this is for the Jones family and then I'll, you know, I'll post it. I'll tag them so that they can see it. They can share it. People can learn about why people around the world are wanting to participate. I mean, short of flying people <laughs> to, to a giving machine, I, I just feel like this is something I can do. And I want to say also just for transparency's sake, this is not something that I'm going to accept any money for. I, I said this on our episode of Mormon news report that if, if someone sends $10 for an item or items and then an extra five, cause thanks Jenny for doing it. I'm not going to accept it. I'm going to use that money to, to buy more items in the giving machines. And just one more thing. I'm happy to also with every transaction, there's a printed receipt, which I'm happy to mail the physical receipt to people if they like, or if they'd like an electronic copy i'm happy to snap a picture with my phone and send it their way that's great and i just love the way this is scalable and good people like you and others will continue to take an idea like this and i have to think what in 10 15 five years where this is going to be and i think it's really scalable and because there's such a need and so those kind of ideas will continue to help us know how to scale that um, before we move on, I know you two met because you are one of these, I'm going to call you a famous blogger. Um, and so tell us the name of your blog and how then you and John met. Okay, thanks. I I started my blog in 2005. So while I wouldn't say I'm a famous blogger, I would say I'm an elderly blogger. I'm just kind of everyone's blogger. <laughs> You're a abuela. young elderly blogger. <laughs> so, uh, and it's called Formerly Fred which formerly is spelled traditionally F-O-R-M-E-R-L-Y. Fred is spelled P-H-R-E-A-D, like bread. And yeah, it's a place where, again, my blog is older than some of my kids. Um, now let's, wait, we have to talk about the name. People are oh, scratching their heads saying Fred, so, only Fred. Uh, yeah, and that comes from when I was a freshman in high school. I grew up in New York. I was taking a, a an elective uh, class. It was a cooking class. And I was, I was just kind of keeping to myself. And the senior turned to me and said, what's your name? And I said, it's Jenny. And he said, there are seven Jennies in here. I'm going to call you Fred. <laughs> wow. And so that was my nickname for quite a while. Wow. So, and then you met as you were yeah. leveraging your, your platform for light the world. And well, yeah, I mean, I, um, I wrote about a number of things. My blog led to a lot of really wonderful professional opportunities. I worked with campaigns with the United Nations Foundation and that sort of thing. I've done a lot of really cool things because of it, but John is the one who actually, um, I mean, he knew my handle because formerly Fred is also my handle online. And he saw a tweet that I, that I posted. Um, yeah. So <laughs> that's, I love, that's the beginning of that's a love the story beginning. on Twitter. That's yeah. the beginning of going to Florence, Italy. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. That's he, where it all started. He replied, to, he replied to a tweet that I put up about Tell a us your Twitter handle, Jenny. It's at formerly Fred, which is F-O-R-M-E-R-L-Y-P-H-R-E-A-D. And that's also my Instagram handle. And John, I know you're on Twitter too, but I yeah, see Dijo. Jenny a little bit more than you. Yeah. Yeah. I spend more time on Facebook and a little bit more on Insta, but uh, yeah, I, I need to spend more time on social media. Well, you can be a really good person and never go to social media. <laughs> so you're, <laughs> you both are doing a really good job. Let's talk in this next segment um, about Mormon and gay. And just by background, that's how I met John. I had stepped in the space of trying to be an ally, and that's a space I didn't know much about. And um, I started to post things about being active LDS and supporting our LGBTQ members and and John reached out to me one day and kind of provided me some mentorship. And uh, it was really good to connect with somebody like John. Can't remember when that was, three years ago-ish. And and kind of brought me in to help me understand a little bit what the church was doing with Mormon and gay, which I think is awesome. And so that was um, really kind of John. And we've been friends since and, and Jenny also. But um, you no longer work for the church, obviously, but you were part of the team that helped put together and then promote Mormon and gay what would you like to share with our listeners about that? Yeah, just a few, I'd say, anecdotal pieces of um, that really moved me. 
And um, Richard, this I think was instrumental in me reaching out to you as we were trying to find people who could lie behind the messages we were trying to get out. Um, many listening might remember when it was Mormons and gays, right? Even just the URL itself is very divisive. It's very Why? Uh, polarizing. It's it's Mormons on one hand and gays on the other, you know, it, and it it's almost like... You, well, it defines people with labels. Yeah, yeah. It's very definitive right. with, with labels. I would agree 100%. And it almost said, if you can be in one camp, but not the other, so choose your camp. And what I loved, and, and I didn't come up with the name, but when it was Mormon and gay, just dropping the S's just in and of themselves made all the difference. I think what that did is it, uh, it showed that you can be identified in multiple ways and those two are congruent and they can come together and they should come together. Um, I've always been a fan of what I call big tent Mormonism. A lot of people use that term, but there's room for us all. The Savior wants to save every one of us. There's room for us all. And so sometimes when we're defined or we don't feel like we have a community, especially in something as strong as religion, I think that is very, very um, counterproductive and even very destructive. Uh, so as, as I had a chance to work with many of the good folks at the church, you know, and getting Mormon and gay out, um, had a chance to sit through some research and hear what people were saying. And to hear some of the anecdotal stories, again, of church leaders who thought they were doing the right thing when they didn't give someone a temple recommend because they came in and said they were gay. Or who said, I didn't extend a calling to someone because of something that they shared with me that was relatively innocuous, but just some feelings that they had. And just not having a definitive stance by the church and not being able to understand specifically how, how they should um, navigate those waters, I think was, you know, I, I, my heart went out to them and these people would break down and cry and, you know, to hear stories of children who were kicked out of their homes because of the way that their parents felt, you know, they would bring some destructive force into the home. Um, I think that was really the first time that I started thinking through a lot of this. Um, I remember Prop 8 and I remember many of the things that happened there and just um, trying to bring people together to unite us. And that was one of the first times that I thought, yeah, we are identified in multiple ways. I'm John Dye, but I also like playing basketball and listening to certain musical groups and doing this and doing that. And those aren't mutually exclusive. Those are definitely inclusive and that makes me who I am. And that's what I loved about the I'm a Mormon uh, campaign. You, we don't have to fit one certain mold to believe the things that we do. And the Lord loves, you know, when we talk about, I, I think many uh, times in the church, we use the uh, symphony analogy. You know, we're not all flutes. We're not all trombones. We're not all trumpets. We're not all brass. We're not all woodwinds. We have different things to bring to the table. And it, it just hurts my heart when I think, you know, somebody has a foot in one camp and another foot in another. Those should be brought together. We should show love, a, a larger outpouring of love than we have previously to, to make them know that they have a spot, that there is a seat for them in the symphony. So as I had a chance to work with that and, and go through with some, again, very good people at the church, you know, um, that that's when I truly, I think became an ally and understood a lot more as I listened to people share their stories. And that's what I love about you. You are getting the stories out there for people to hear and to understand when you hear people's stories. I think that breaks down those silos. It brings greater understanding and your heart can meld with their heart and you can feel what they feel. And I'm hopeful that that's something that, uh, you know, Mormon and gay has done and can continue to do as we hear more stories, we can, we become more empathetic. We become much more sympathetic as well. And our heart just can go out to everyone, regardless of whatever they're facing in their life and just be better. It's very, very helpful and similar to my own journey. I, uh, my journey, as my listeners know, is I had priesthood responsibility as a singles ward bishop for a couple of gay men and 
And that is a paradigm shift to have stewardship responsibility for an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint. And that was my journey to better understand because a lot of the things I'd picked up were not accurate and I needed good information. And I remember going to Mormon and Gay and website and I encourage local leaders to go there if they're thinking about doing a fifth lesson or a fire. So just teach the content off of Mormon and Gay. Um, I didn't realize some of the things the church was teaching until I came to Mormon and Gay, just because I, I'm 58 and I picked up things from society that I realized were not accurate and not what the church taught. And so I just, I really love what you're doing with Mormon and Gay. And I love what you taught about the difference between the two names of the website. And those two letters, I guess there's just two letters that are different. And the the complete 180 that creates, um, especially from a stewardship responsibility for local leaders and families, um, as these um, are our own people. I don't say LGBT community anymore because that creates in my mind a, a different group of people on a different road. I. I just use LGBTQ Latter-day Saints or LGBTQ members that communicates to me. This is these are own people. Hmm. Jenny, your thoughts um, on Mormon and gay? I don't know if you were involved with it or if you guys were talking about it. Or I know you're really good about this space. Just anything you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, thanks. Um, it's actually it's a project. I think we were dating when you hmm. were working on it. Correct. And so, I mean, we talk about it as much as he was able to you know, share information with me about things. He, he, he never, he never shared anything that was inappropriate or crossing any lines or anything like that. But, um, you know, I, I have a soft spot for, for marginalized groups in general. And, um, and I really think that, you know, it's been said here, it's been said everywhere that, that, um, that if you think you don't, know someone who is gay it's not that that's the case it's that you don't know that they are and um you know i well like everyone i you know have experience with with friends and family members and and things um and and there's a lot of heartbreak out there and i feel like this is an area where where there's a lot of work to be done and there's a lot of lack of understanding. There's a lot of hurt and, and I'm still someone who holds out for the hope that I see for the, for the work that I see being done for, for the bridges being built and such. So I'm, I'm grateful for the work being done in this space. You got a great heart, Jenny. (laughs) uh, And thank you. Thank you. It's members like you that give me hope, both of you. More, anything else you'd like to share about Mormon and gay or just this space in general from either of you? Yeah, it's, I, I, I just think a greater outpouring of love and understanding is needed and necessary. And I'm, I'm hopeful too, as Jenny mentioned, I'm very hopeful the direction that the church is taking. I know we can do more. We can always do more, but I'm grateful for the steps in the right direction that we're taking and I believe in the Lord's timeline. I believe that we need to listen to his voice and, and do what he says and as he directs. But um, I, I'm truly hopeful for the future. I think we're getting a lot of things right. I think it can be easy to to become discouraged because I think a lot of times it seems like we take two steps forward, three steps back, you know, and just kind of round and round we go. Um, for myself, I always go back to how the savior would, would act, how he did act, how he did treat others. And it always, always comes back to love. Always. So I love that. As some of our listeners know, I'm in the process of writing a book. The working title is ministering to our LGBTQ members. Cope Ford is publishing it Hmm. and it's meant to be out, um, in fall of 2020. And, um, you know, chapter two is 15 myths. <laughs> and one of the things I've done is I've created a Facebook group of LDS LGBTQ people, and they I sort of give a myth to them, and then they give me their comments, and I'm pulling that into the book, as well as LDS parents of LGBTQ, because I recognize those two particularly know the space really well, because if you're LGBTQ, you're in the space, and if you're a parent, 
you've been on your knees and going to the temple and doing everything you can to know how to parent an LGBTQ kid. But um, that's kind of the purpose of the book is to bring a lot of voices into a book and share um, the learning that's out there so that we can all do better. Cause there's great people in this space that have great insights. And these 15 myths are ones are like, um, like you can change or mm. this is a choice or mm -hmm. this is because you had an absent father and a dominant mother. And, mm. and, um, that's chapter two, chapter three are things that we say that may, will add to the burden of our LGBTQ member, which is a little different than a myth like comparing sexual orientation to drugs, pornography, and alcohol is something mm, sure. that I've heard and still hear. And yeah. I sort of, and so there's some really thoughtful comments on that. I don't, we don't compare straight people's orientation to drugs, pornography, or alcohol. So we shouldn't do that for our LGBTQ people. Orientation to me is just equal. Um, you know, across the board, how everybody identifies and everybody should be seen as from Heavenly Father is created the way they're supposed to. And so um, that's just an effort that I've been working on. But to your, what brought it up is chapter four um, or five that I'm working on right now is, well, four is the atonement of Jesus Christ and this language that he has descended below all things. I think of the atonement as obviously as like a big circle. And part of that circle is to take away our sins. But another, but that's just part of the circle of the atonement. The rest of the atonement is to give us hope and heal. And this idea in DNC 88, I believe that he descended below things, but you know, our LGBTQ members really value the power of the atonement mm -hmm. and the doctrine there that Christ has descended below what they're feeling. And their personal revelation to give them hope. And so I love the atonement um, and the, and the understanding guidance giving to parents of LGBTQ as well as our members. And I look forward to bringing their stories um, into the book, but it's very touching how the atonement is helping navigate a space personally. That's very difficult to navigate. And I just recognize we have more work to do. I think it, most faithful members recognize this as an area in the church where there's just more work to be done. And, and I support our leaders like, you know, we're sharing here as, as they work on this. And I don't sit in the general councils of the church to advise or suggest, but what we can do is what we're all doing at the local level is, mm. and the things you're outlining in Light the World campaign are the things that would apply to all of Heavenly Father's children. Um, anything more on this subject before we move on that either came to mind? No. All right. We're good. Thank you. Um, let's talk about... Um, your podcast, Jenny. Oh, yeah. And tell us just about it. It's focused. It reminds sure. again of your um, your co-host and when you started and just those kind of details. Sure. Thank you. So it's called Mormon News Report. We, we made, we had quite the talk and many, many days of considering and weeks of if we should change that name and we decided to keep it. Mormon News Report Podcast. It actually started in July of 2017 in affiliation with the Cultural Hall podcast, which for which I'm also a contributor. Yes. Um, and have been since its beginning, actually. It, after a while, broke off from the Cultural Hall as its own entity, but we're still friends. <laughs> I still, um, you know, I still participate in a lot of what goes on in the Cultural Hall. Uh, Brant, my co-host, he lives in the Detroit area in Michigan. And he used to co-host it with Brian Whitney, but then Brian uh, had to take a step back because of going to grad school. And I had guests, I'd been a guest co-host a couple of times and became a co-host in April of 2018, right around uh, general conference. So basically we cover the week in Mormon news, anything that might be pertinent to the lives of members of the church. It's funny because Brent lives in, in Detroit, but he is, he has been, he's so into Utah politics specifically. <laughs> so he likes to talk about that a lot, but um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a nice outlet. We, we do, we typically take the month of July off as well as maybe the week after general conference, because we do a recap after all five sessions of general conference. That's, those are, those are big weekends for us, but 
you know, Brant has a lot of, I, I just have to say that we would not be able to do what we do without the support of, of our spouses, Brant's wife, Ashley, and of course my John Dye. I mean, it's, they are saints for putting up with, with our little passion project that we record on Sunday afternoons typically. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been a really good experience. Is it I think. for, I assume it's for an LDS audience. It is for an LDS audience or anyone who might be interested in the church, in what we're doing. And we actually just, and does it get into political stuff or is it religious political so, so we LDS t- topics or is it mostly religious? We talk about anything that maybe might be in the news, in the news. meaning or changes from the church. Okay. So it could have had a lot to talk about. Oh my goodness. And I'll tell you what we, uh, I thought yesterday, Oh, well, this will be a breeze. And then I watched elder gongs face to face. Oh my good. There was so much information. I was like, we're going to have to do at least two episodes this week just to cover all the news and all these changes for children. And what was curriculum. the biggest change to you that you saw? Was there one or two that just came to mind you'd like to share with our listeners? So two things in particular. One, that there's a theme now for the young men, the uh, the Aaronic Priesthood. I I guess I should say three. The second is that for the primary children, Activity Days is gone. It's now called Primary Activities, and it includes the boys. And then the third, I think it's really significant that there's an app that's coming out in January. I just think that that is so smart because it to me shows that the leaders are aware that kids, you know, live with all this information on a device in their pocket. And I think that is a proactive way to make good of, of a tool that can be used for good or evil. And they're providing so many resources that way. I'm really excited to see. Is how there an that, age range for that app? Is it, do you, do you know off the top of you, do you remember? I don't think so. I think it's aimed toward youth. So probably 12, but, but they also made, made exception for, I mean, Elder Gong said, and if you don't use a device, you also have the books, Good, you know, because I know there are many parents who don't want their children to be using electronics at younger ages. So I, I'm really excited to see what that app looks like. I'm curious about that. And of course, with the removal of scouts, you know, the activities for the young men and young women look more equal. I mean, I could go on and on, but yeah, what we talk about on the, on the podcast is anywhere from, from church policy changes or adjustments, or maybe even announcements about, you know, missions uh, and, and how they change or, or mission presidencies to, like I said, Utah politics, to court cases that go on that that involve members of the church or people who used to be members of the church. We really, we don't shy away from things and we are both, we are both very active, very devoted members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who also get frustrated a lot of times. Okay. So that's kind (laughs) of, I would, I think we need to acknowledge faithful Latter-day Saints get frustrated and, and that, is just part of our mortal journey. And I think then it's nice to have someplace they can turn like your podcast Thank you. to process with faithful Latter-day Saints that are also processing, because there's lots of people that have left the church that can kind of identify with those frustrations. And you may feel like you belong with people that have left because that's the only group that can sort of go there with you. And so I think we need to learn to have conversations about things that first, I kind of like that word, by the way, (laughs) to me, that's not an unfaithful word. It's just an honest word about how our experience in the church um, can happen sometimes. A lot of that's cultural, Mm -hmm. um, but there may be other things that happen at time. That's great. Thank you. And, and I, and I recognize openly often on the podcast too, that sometimes I'll say, this is just something I know I need to pray about more because I am not there yet. I need to get a testimony of this before, you know what I mean? Um, I also need to mention, and I, I'm sorry, I didn't before only because it's so new. The Mormon news report podcast is, is a part of the dialogue journal podcast network, which just started like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And who started that? Um, Taylor Taylor did. Taylor did. Mm -hmm. I know. Yeah. Yep. 
I will you talk about what Taylor's trying to accomplish? Do you want to do okay speaking for Taylor? Um, well, yeah, I want to make sure that that everyone knows I I'm me and not Taylor. So, uh, but what what they're and trying? Tell us Taylor's last name. It's I don't. It's why why did I just? I know I'm gonna say, uh, it starts with a P and I'm gonna mispronounce Petrie. it. It is Petrie. Yep, Taylor okay. Petrie. So basically, the idea is you know dialogue is is well established publication and has a different audience than maybe podcast listeners. So the idea was he kind of handpicked a few podcasts to say, we're going to expand our repertoire as far as our media reach. We're going to add these podcasts that we think have good or unique voices that would benefit our existing audience. So that's, that's we're, we're really excited to be a part of it. Really like Taylor and what he's doing. Do you have anything to add, John, in this segment? Um. No, Mormon News Report is wonderful, though. It's, uh, it's, it's great to listen to, and um, it is a safe space. And, and it addresses, um, you know, what's new, what, uh, what's out there, but it, it does give a, a place to really think through. And, you know, we, we often talk about, and, and I used to think the church is pristine in all ways, shapes, and forms, and I used to think that... Uh, nothing bad ever happened. And it's, it's good though, to get a dose of, of this, because as you said, the word frustrate is something that we all experience at times. And this gives you a way to, to internalize that and understand more about that. Thanks for saying that. I, well, I do need to say that we do, of course, like anyone else get the occasional criticism, um, whatever that might be. But I have to say that, that part of maybe the, the most rewarding part of, of being a part of the podcast world in general, and I'm sure this applies to you too, is, is when I get an email that says, thank you for saying what I have been thinking or what I've been afraid to say. It is so nice to know that I'm not alone in this and that it doesn't mean that my salvation is at stake or, or something like that. That's, that's my favorite part. That's a great payday when you get those comments because you do get some criticism for talking about the difficult things. But mm -hmm. I think we need to learn to talk about those because if we don't, people just leave. Yes. And mm -hmm. they need to find community within our faith of, peop of people that will talk about the complicated stuff and and live in the ambiguity and process the ambiguity. And I sometimes there's what I call church-generated pain where, I mean, if I looked at all the pain that's come into my life, a segment of that comes from the very church I'm deeply committed to at times, um, just because of a leader experience, a classroom discussion. Um, and so I think we need to learn to honor that pain and validate that pain to heal people. And, and sometimes that pain's the hardest to heal because if I have pain that occurs outside of my church, I can kind of go to the church or the Savior and heal that. But sometimes that's the most complicated pain to heal is when it really comes from what should be the balm of Gilead. And I recognize I've probably created pain in other people in my church life <laughs> as I've misspoke or um, not been sensitive enough or not understood like a prior held belief about LGBTQ. And I think that's part of just maturing. It would certainly be consistent with what Christ wants us to do. Um, anything else you, either of you would like to share? There's just a wonderful spirit on this podcast and great insights. And I wish our listeners could see these two. They've been holding hands the whole hour. And this is just a beautiful love story. The two of you coming together and you're kind of individual powerhouses with your unique, you know, careers and ministry and then coming together and you're younger than me. And I look not by much, not by much, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just it's wonderful to see, and I love your interest in Light the World. And, and as we shared at the beginning of the podcast, this is just a labor of love because you don't work for the church anymore in BonCon. So you could have just said, well, that's the end of that chapter of my life. But I just it's a sign of your heart. And same with you, Jenny, is just you're wanting to do the right thing for the right reason. And you've this is something that's, and I think that's a template for all of us as Latter-day Saints is to take some of these initiatives and just freely run with them. We're a home center church supported. That's right. I said that right. Mm -hmm. You did. Yes. You did. And so that gives in this kind of an area, sort of the freedom to run with these kind of things. This is a church supported individually run. I'm making up words here to bring light the world and, and bring the light of Christ into other people's lives. 
We'll give John the second to last comment, and then we'll give Jenny the final comments. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, as you as you mentioned that about Light the World, um, you know, as I close, uh, you know, it is a wonderful way. And I think, how is the church going to come out of obscurity? We all have to think about what we individually can do to w- within our circle of influence um, to, to bless others' lives. And for me, it's light the world. That's one way that I can do that. Um, but, but again, if I look at what all this boils down to, and you both have mentioned it tonight, it's the atonement of Christ. Um, he's made it possible for all of us to be who we can be and to do what we can do. And without his help, we are nothing. And so to, to utilize the talents, the gifts he's given to us each individually, I think is key. Wow. Thanks. Um, yeah, I, I mentioned before that I have a sensitivity to, to marginalized groups and, and I feel like there can be a lot of pressure around the holiday season to feel joy when the reality is that we can't just turn off the stresses of life and be happy because of what it says on the calendar or because there's a tree in our, in our view with lights on it. And, um, and I feel like light the world really does kind of highlight what giving is because of the, the small actionable ways that, you know, I mean, Gosh, no one needs more to do during the holidays for sure. But, you know, for instance, with the calendar suggestions, those are small things that can be done in whatever scope is doable and achievable for an individual or for a family. You can choose. And it is those small steps that really, that really um, bring the light of Christ or put us on the path to that joy. You know, I, I spent a while, uh, being a single mom and the holidays are really, really difficult for a lot of reasons. Um, and, and I, I was the beneficiary of, of charity beyond my deserving for sure. And, and I will forever be grateful to those who stepped in, whether, directly by asking if they could help or anonymously by leaving things on our porch and bringing those smiles to my kids' faces. Um, It's something that I I feel such a debt of gratitude for. Um, uh, Can I, do we have time for me to share an experience? Keep going. Um, One year. um, Sorry. I, uh, thank you. I, uh, I spent, I, I had, I had everything planned out for what I was going to do on Christmas Eve. My last minute errands, I think I had maybe four or five places to go. The first place I had to go though, was to drop off one of my teenagers, um, at her counselor's office for an appointment. And I did that. And then I, I remember being in the parking lot in at Target in Orem and getting a call from that counselor who told me that my, my daughter was, was suicidal. And I spent that Christmas Eve in the emergency room with, uh-huh. my, with my daughter. And, and to say nothing of the heartbreak and just devastation and and helplessness that I felt for my daughter and just not knowing what to do or what was going to happen. I, my stress was mounting because I had things to do. Stores were going to close. And I remember once she was discharged, once she was in a place where she was, where she felt safe uh, enough for us to go home. I remember it was dark and I remember going to the grocery store and there was a, you know, there was a limit of what I could get, but I, I was trying so hard not to cry because I didn't want her to feel guilty, but I just could not help it. And just tears were just streaming down my face. And, um, and I got what I needed to get. And we went up to the car and someone came running after me and, 
and said, you, you know, you forgot something. It's at the service desk. And I had no idea what they were talking about, but I loaded the groceries under the car and I went back and, and I went to the service desk and I said, um, I don't, they said I left something. Did I forget something? And the woman handed me a small, um, flower, like, like a, a potted couple of flowers. Um, you know, flower bouquets at grocery stores are kind of limited in <laughs> what they are. But um, she said, someone saw you and just wanted me to give you this. And and they said that they hope you you have a Merry Christmas. And it wasn't a traditional Christmas gift. It wasn't, it wasn't anything extravagant. And I do not know who did it. But that is what the Savior would do. Someone saw me in my pain and and was... To, they were aware of it. I mean, aware of, you know, being outside. And so, so when I think about that, I just think of the awareness that I have that the holidays are not easy for everyone, that they, that they, that there's a lot of pain that can be accompanied by the holidays that, that people don't want to express. And so I just encourage people as they, as they go about their business, preparing for their own holiday celebrations to be aware of people around them and maybe, maybe, you know, listen to, to the spirit whisper, listen for those whispers to know what you can do to brighten someone's day. Cause it will, it will make a lasting difference. I've been the recipient of it and I can only, I can only hope to do the same for someone else. That's a really beautiful story. Thanks for being so honest and vulnerable. Um, my respect for people like you that are vulnerable and honest just goes up. I think it's the way we heal each other is to be honest in our vulnerabilities and um, it's an example to me of how we do this. So that's really awesome. I love, I love what you said in that beautiful story. Um, the awareness of my pain. So that sh fellow shopper was aware. And I love the simplicity of what that fellow shopper did. Um, it wasn't an, ex I sense this wasn't a really expensive. Right. So it was just the fact that they did something for you and you went back to that store and you just, somebody was aware of your pain and the healing and the hope that that gave you in this very difficult moment. And, and it's back to some of the things we shared earlier. Elder, will you say Elder Uchtdorf's line again for us? Yes, it was... Um, <laughs> Putting on the spot, John. Yes. Um, normal and natural acts, yeah. So normal and natural acts. For whoever that was in the store, it may have not been normal or natural to go engage you in a conversation or to get your text and text you. But it, And for some, that may have been. They could have had the gifts to sort of walk with you outside and put their arm around you and maybe have a conversation. But for somebody else, they said, this is where... I can help. And they just did that and went over the flower thing and bought a little flower or potted pl whatever yeah. for you. Yeah. So that's a great story to end on. I love some of the things that are coming to my mind. I love the app you talked about, Jenny. And I love the way, and that fits with what you said, John, is that, you know, we do have a lot of missionaries out there serving. and But to scale, I use this marketing term, scaled our message, we have to use digital and we have to use our members. And I know my missionary efforts since my mission, most of the people that I've helped into the church, the four in particular in the last couple of years, all started with the social media connection. And that led to baptism, but it didn't happen on a plane. And maybe if I'd have more people to talk about if I talked to people on the planes. <laughs> um, but my elders conference is really good at that. He has some great stories and that's maybe what comes natural for him. And I'm kind of an introvert. I really have a hard time striking up meaningful conversations on a plane. I kind of put in my headphones and, and now I'm more at peace with that. And I just know we all serve in our individual ways, but we need each other. And I love everything you've shared here is doable for me as just a regular member. And we all do this the very best we can in our unique ways. So thank you, John and Jenny Dye, for being on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. And thank you, our listeners that are doing all you're doing to share our podcast and listen to our podcast. And this is your host, Richard Oss, who doesn't have a standard. I started to listen to other podcasts. I've only listened to like two other, three other podcasts my whole life. And I'm realizing that some hosts have like a standard ending and I don't. So we'll just keep being unstandard. But thanks for listening.